All right, great to see you. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. We're continuing, of course, our study of this Old Testament book. It's a powerful book. It shows God's deliverance of his people Israel from bondage in Egypt. And, you know, Exodus in, in the slide, so Exodus is the story of redemption and foreshadows the great truth in the Bible of God's redemption of mankind. I mean, think about it. That's what it is. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. He delivered us from the bondage of sin. And so it's that great the great picture when you see how God brought his nation out of bondage in Egypt. We think about Jesus Christ bringing us from the bondage of sin. As we continue this evening, we are, we're seeing the call of Moses. And he is 80 years old. And, and, and most of the time, people that are 80 years old, people say, I think maybe the best thing to do is just sit down over there and, and we'll just, you know, take care of you. And here's Moses fixing to be used by God to do one of the greatest things of all time. And he is, he's 80 years old. He is tending sheep on the backside of the desert. If you ask Moses about his life, he would say, uh, it's pretty much over. Yeah, I thought at one time I was going to be really used by God, but that, that's that's gone. That happened years ago. Years ago, I thought I was going to do something, and I thought God had raised me up to be a, to be the one to deliver my people. But I guess that's over. God comes to him in a burning bush, and commissions Moses to go to Egypt, and lead the nation of Israel out from the bondage to the promised land. Well, how does Moses react? And it's going to take us several weeks to to see it all because it's not it's not a real long chapter. It's 22 verses. We're only going to get the first 15 tonight. But as we study this section, several things to think about. First of all, we'll see the call of Moses. As we see the call of Moses, realize that God has called us, by the way, called us into ministry. We see God's name. So we're going to take a look at that. God tells Moses what to call him, and we're going to see the character of God as we think about his names. And then we see God's care and comfort. He knows our situation, whatever situation we're in, and he will both provide and protect. There's some great things there. So let's tonight see the beginning, basically the beginning of the call of Moses. Let's let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for each one that has come. Just the fun that we have as we study the Bible. Lord, we just ask you that as we look at Exodus chapter 3, as we continue our study of this great book of the Old Testament, that you would teach us, we'd see things there that we can apply right now in our lives. We know that your word is alive and powerful and sharper than your two-edged sword. It's perfect. So may we know it and apply it now. Lord, teach us. We ask all of this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, you know, when you talk about a name, a name tells a lot about a person. You say, this is your name. And this is sometimes nicknames. Question that we might bring up is what is God's name? How is he called? The truth is, when you see the names of God in the Bible, we see a lot about the character of God. In both the Old Testament and New Testament, there are certain names uh, and, and words that are used for God. Think about this. In the Old Testament, the name El, El, is the singular name for God. Like El Shaddai, that's two names put together, God, God, the Mighty One. Then there's Elohim, which is actually plural for, plural for God. It is used oftentimes as what we call plural of majesty. A lot of times you'll read the Bible, it'll say, and God said, it's the word Elohim. It's Even it's a plural, but it's probably referring to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit put all together there. Then you see the word Adonai, which is the word for Lord. Then when you think of New Testament, there's, uh, go ahead, New Te- there's the word Theos, which is the word for God. That's the general word. Then there's the word Kyrios, which is the word for Lord. And so those those are special names. But you know, there is one. When you, when you think about the names of God, there is one name that was unique that the Jews would not even pronounce. And it is the personal name of God. And the best that we can say is spelled in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H, uh, sometimes translated Yahweh, but we're not sure how to say it because they wouldn't say it. But it literally in Hebrew is the idea of I am. And, and we're going to see that tonight Moses says to God, who do I tell them sent me? Who do I tell the people is sending me? And God says, tell them I am is sending. And that's the 
the, the personal name and you might say the, the name of the eternal God. Not that he I was and I will be, but he is the I am because he's always existed and always will. Well, this evening we're going to see the call of Moses. And we also see the names of God and the personal aspects of it. And we'll see a lot of things about that as we go through it. Let's, let's get just a brief review as we start. In Exodus chapter 2, we saw the birth of Moses. And you remember there was a decree that had gone out from Pharaoh that if a, if a girl baby was born, it was fine. If it was a boy baby born, he had to put the baby to death. In fact, they were supposed to cast the boy babies into the Nile. Well, when Moses was born, he was hid three months by his parents, and then finally they realized they couldn't hide him. And so they put him in a little basket, and so his mother basically said, I'll do what... What Pharaoh says, I'll throw my son into the Nile. But he didn't say anything about not putting him in a basket. So they put him in a little ark, put him out there. Pharaoh's daughter comes down, sees it, sends one of her slaves out to get it, opens it up. Then she says, oh, my gracious, it's one of those little Hebrew babies. And he started crying. And and all of a sudden, Moses' sister said, would you like me to go get a woman to nurse this baby for you? And she said, well, good idea. And, of course, Moses' mother comes, and she actually gets paid to nurse her own baby. And so uh, the, the basically uh, Pharaoh's daughter raises Moses and it's, a, uh, it's an amazing thing and if you look at Moses' life his life can be divided into three 40-year parts the first 40 years of his life he's raised in Pharaoh's household then from 40 to 80 where we are now he is on the backside of the desert if you remember in the first 40 years of his life he was he was raised and trained in the, in the learning of Egypt he was a powerful leader at age 40 he decides to go out and visit his own people he decides to say listen I'm not an Egyptian I'm really Jewish of course, his people were slaves at that time. He goes out there, and he actually believed that his people would understand that he was raised up by God to deliver them. And they didn't get it, and he ended up killing a guy, and then he got into trouble, and he flee. He had to flee to Midian. In Midian, for 40 years, he's on the backside of the desert. He met a guy. He met uh, a man named Jethro, and he met his daughters, and he married one of Jethro's daughters. And so for 40 years, he's on the backside of the desert. If you look at your life, if you if you looked at his life, he would say, Moses, how's your life been? He'd say, it's it's not been that good. He said, first 40 years, you know, I grew up in Pharaoh's household. I had it made, but the truth is I'm not Egyptian, and so I didn't really want to be there. And then I thought I would have something great to do, and now... For, eight, for 40 years of my life, I've just been a shepherd, and I've done nothing. He thought his life would be great. He thought he would be the leader of Israel. He thought he would take the people from bondage to the promised land. But what Moses doesn't realize is this, that the first 40 years of his life, he was trained by the world. He was trained by the Egyptians. But the next last 40 years, this next 40 years that he's going through... He's been trained by God. Because the truth is, he's going to shepherd the nation of Israel. He's going to lead them out and bring them to the promised land. In order to be, do that, he didn't need to be trained as a soldier. He needed to be trained as a shepherd. And that's what God has done. In the last 40 years of his life, he has been spent on the backside of the desert taking care of a bunch of sheep. And he could say, why is this such a good thing? And sometimes things come into our lives and we go, why is this such a good thing? Or why is this happening? And what we don't realize is God is just preparing us for the things that he has for us. So for the last 40 years, he's taken care of the flock. 40 years have passed. And now we're going to see that God is fixing to take this man who, if you ask him, how's your life been? He'd say, not much. God's going to use him to confront Pharaoh, to bring the nation out, to part the Red Sea to get the law at Mount Sinai and to lead this nation for 40 years. It's going to be a powerful thing for him. Well, this evening, the call of Moses. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. 
Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Moses was pastoring Jethro's flock. He'd married Zephora, which is Jethro's daughter, and for the last 40 years he's lived basically in this area taking care of the sheep. So on the west side of the wilderness, which is the southwestern part of the Sinai Peninsula, well, it says he came to a place called Horeb. Well, another name for Horeb is Sinai. So Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are the same place. In fact, if you realize this, this place, Moses is right now in this passage at the place where he will later get the law. He's going to go up on this place and he's going to get it. For Moses, think about this. This was just another day. When you wake up in the morning, do you say, I, you know, I, I got a feeling this is going to be the most important day of my life. We don't usually think that, do we? We get up and we go, what do I have to do today? just another day. It's just, it's, just, it's just another day. He woke up and he said, this will just be another day. And, and he doesn't realize, the truth is this, it will be the most important day of his life because God's going to call him to fulfill his role, his role. We realize that every day is unique and special. And that when we wake up in the morning, we should say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Because this could be, this could be the most important day of my life that you have for me. No telling what you're going to do. Every day is our opportunity to serve God. So there's some special things there. We never know what God is going to do. That's what's so amazing. Well, watch what happens. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Now, the angel of the Lord, of course, is what we call a theophany, which is two Greek words put together, theos and phanero. Phanero means an appearing, and theos means God. So a theophany is a God appearing. It's God making himself in some form <coughs> in which he appears to man. In this burning bush, God is going to appear and talk to Moses. And, you know, it, it may have been 40 years since the last time he had any kind of aspect with God. Who knows what's happened to him all of this time. Now, the angel of the Lord is also a term used in the Old Testament for, uh, you might say an angel, but the angel of the Lord is usually a name for an appearance of God in the Old Testament. So this is what we got. There's no doubt it's God, because if you look down at verse 6, he says, I am the God of your father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So it's God here. The burning bush, Moses sees this bush. And it's burning. It was not that unusual that maybe a bush would burn, catch on fire in the, de in the wilderness because it's so hot. But what was weird about it is the bush was burning, but the bush wasn't being consumed. It wasn't burning up. It was just burning. Notice what happened. So Moses said, I must, because um, the end of verse 2 says, yet the bush was not consumed. It, it's, he sees this. He's out there and he says, oh my gracious. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the bush burning, but it's not burning up. So, verse 3, so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. I mean, this is pretty much amazing. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, when, when you look at this passage, it says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside God called to him. And so we see actually two names, the Lord God. And if you notice in your Bibles, and this is what we've taught many, many times, look at verse 4 when it says, when the Lord, and it's capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. All capitals means it's the name Y-H-W-H. -H. 
In the Old Testament, if it's a capital L and then a little O-R-D, it's the name Adonai. But if it's all capitals, it's that special name, Y-H-W-H, which is the personal name of God. And so this passage says, and then the Yahweh saw. When the Yahweh saw that he had turned aside, God called, and the word God there is Elohim, called to him from the midst of the burning bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, what do you think Moses thought when he heard the voice from the bush? He could have said, I think I've been in the desert too long. I mean, you know, I don't know what's going on here. What is going on? I, maybe I've been, maybe in the sun, maybe I hadn't worn my little hat like I should have worn, but you know, I don't know what's happening. But then, notice, then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, don't come near. The Lord is telling him, hold up, take your shoes off, this is holy ground. What makes something holy? It's holy because of the presence of the Lord. It's because God has set it apart. God has appeared. God is the holy God, and anything connected with God is to be holy. And so he says, this area is holy because God has appeared and set it apart. Moses take off his shoes and realize he's in the presence of God. Now, uh, think about it. We're God's children. If you know Jesus Christ your Savior, you're God's child, you are called a saint, a set-apart one, a holy one. So we're connected with our great God and Savior. We're supposed to be holy as well. We're set apart. Now, look at verse 6. He said also, and I love this right here, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he's afraid to look at God. Now, you know, if most of you have been coming most all year, if you remember, we studied the book of Genesis. And as we studied the book of Genesis, we saw Abraham and we saw his wife. And then we saw Isaac and we saw his wife and we saw Jacob and we saw his wife. And then we sort of ended up with Jacob and Joseph together toward the end of the book. But when he says this, a, a, a while has passed. A number of years have passed. They have been in slavery for a long time. They're even estimating this may have been 400 years have passed. And he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When I read that, immediately I think back to the call of Abraham to leave the earth of the Chaldees. I think of Isaac and, and him being offered up. I think of Jacob and his 12 sons and, and the nation of Israel or the family of Israel at that time. So it, it ties the whole thing together. And he says, I'm the God of, the fa- of your father, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses hit his face. He was afraid. These are the patriarchs. These are the ones that God made the covenant with, you know, the covenant with Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, a seed, a blessing. Where is the land? Where is the land, by the way? Where is it? What do we call it? Huh? What do we call it? I can't hear you. It, well, we call it Israel. We call it the promised land. It's called Canaan in this part. It's the land where the Hittites and the Jebusites and, the, and, and all those people are staying. This is land that God gave them a long time ago. They've never possessed it. They've been in Egypt now for over about 400 years, and they're coming out. And the promise that God had made to his people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is about to come true. He's going to give them this Land. You remember land, a seed, and a blessing. And the blessing is the Messiah. The seed, of course, is the blessing is the Messiah is going to save the world and, and all people can be saved through him. But the same promise was given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. God tells Moses, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the covenant. He wants him to realize this and he wants to realize Moses to realize who he is. Now, he hid his face. He's afraid to look at God. That's probably a good move. That's probably a good move, right? 
because we know that, that unless God makes some kind of appearance, and in the Old Testament, the El Shaddai is when he makes some kind of appearance, uh, that uh, no one can see God and live. And so he's burning bush, and Moses is saying, wait a minute, if this is God, and I'm not, I better, I better not look. I'm kind of afraid to look over there. God is powerful. Uh, I think today that people don't see God as who he is. There are some people who think of God as like the old man in the sky sitting in the rocking chair, kind of going back and forth and saying, how can I help you, my children? And that's okay. But he is the creator of all things. He's all-powerful. He's the sovereign God. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so he is the living God. God tells Moses two things. I want you to see what they are. He says he knows all that is going on and he has a plan. Those are pretty comforting words, wouldn't you say? I know everything is going on and I have a plan. First of all, he knows. He knows everything is going on. Notice, I have seen the affliction. I have heard their cry. I have given heed. I am aware of their suffering. Look at this this next verse. Look what he says. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. He says, I know what's going on. I've seen what's going on. He calls them his people because they are his people. God set these people apart. They will always be his people. Now, that's something we even talked about in Sunday school this morning, because even in the eternal state, there's what we call the nations, which are anybody that's not Jewish. That's not the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they're always going to be his people. And he said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. He says, I have heard their cry. Notice, and I have heard their cry. I have given heed. Basically, I've heard their cry and I've given heed because of their taskmasters. He says, I've heard their cry. Because that's what they did. They, they shouted it out. They said to God, oh, God, help us. Sometimes we get, we're in distress. What, what should we say? God, help us. And then he says at the very last of the verse, I am aware of their suffering. When you look at your life and things come in your life, we realize that God knows everything that's happening. We could say, well, God, I've, I've gone through this or I'm going through this. Or, or do you know what's going on? God says, of course I know what's going on. I'm God. God knows everything. He knows what we're going through. He knows our trials, our heartaches, our problems, our fears, our pressures. He knows it all. He hears our prayers. He sees everything. He hears our prayers, and he knows the situation. That's the first part. But guess what? He has a plan. He has a plan. The plan is to deliver them and to bring them to the land. He says, first of all, I have this plan to deliver you. Watch. Look at verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. So let's stop there. He says, I've come to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. Now, in Egypt, it is not a good situation for God's people. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think that God allowed the Jewish people to go into bondage in Egypt? What? So they needed a savior. That's right. Let me ask you something. What if they had gone to Egypt under under Joseph, just like and Joseph was a hero, right? They had the best land in Egypt, didn't they? Everything was going great for them in Egypt. If everything is so great, you're going to ever want to go back to that promised land? You're never going to want to go back. Why would you go back? You say, "I got it great here in Egypt." Are the Jewish people supposed to have Egypt, that part of the land? We say, "No, no, they're supposed to have this land." It has to get them to the point where they're saying, "We would like to leave." Right? We'd like to leave. This is not that good. Sometimes God brings things into our life and we say, I don't like it. He says, make some changes. Make some changes. 
let's do some things. So first of all, he wants to deliver them from the bondage in Asia, take them out. And then second, he wants to, I think the next one is, to bring them to the land. Notice verse 8 again. I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land Notice how he describes it, to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Those were the people that we call the Amorites. These people, if you remember, let me just remind you, they were very wicked. They were so wicked that God removed the nation of Israel, took them out of that promised land and put them down into Egypt when Joseph was there to keep the influence of these wicked people from the Jewish people. Because if they'd have stayed there, they would have intermarried. They would have never been what we think. Remember, because the Jewish people were only 70 of them. There were only 70 of them when they left the land. And so when you read Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, those aren't nice people. Those people are in direct rebellion against God, and they worship false gods. And their iniquity is going to get to a point that God is going to remove them from the land. How is he going to do that? To the Jewish people, exactly right. So the promised land, he lists the people living in the land, the descendants of the Canaanites. I will deliver you, and I will bring you to the promised land. By the way, he knows, he sees, he hears, he is aware, he has a plan. God, there's good news for Moses. It's powerful God has not forgotten his people. He will deliver them and bring them back to the land. Now, realize that God has given us good news. We were in bondage to sin. But God says, i got a plan to deliver you. I've sent my son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again. And he can give you life forever simply by what? By faith. That's all it is. He's got a plan. He says, I know your situation. What's your situation? What's mankind's situation? We're lost. We're dead in sin. He says, I know your situation. I've heard your cry. I see the affliction. So here's what I've got. I know what's going on. i got a plan to deliver you. I've got a plan to deliver you, and that is Jesus Christ. He'll bring us to a place of abundance. Well, watch what he goes on to say. He says, now... Behold the cry, this is verse 9, kind of gives a summary. Behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians are oppressing them. He says, now listen, I've got the whole thing. I understand what's going on. God has told Moses he, he knows and he will deliver. He'll tell him about his plan. And he's fixing to tell him the plan. How is he going to do this? Well, the answer is, guess what he's going to do? He's going to use Moses. Now, let me, let me, I want you to think about something. You're 80 years old. And it's not been, it's not been a great 40 years, right? I mean, you've been out in the desert. It's not been an easy time. You haven't been in an office in air conditioning working at a desk, right? You've been out in the desert for 40 years. You're an old man. And what if God said to you, okay, I've got something for you to do now. What might you say? Uh, that, that would have been better 40 years ago. I think I could have done it 40 years ago. But I don't, I just, I just don't think so right now. But I appreciate your asking. Right? I appreciate your asking. Uh, you notice when you look, if you read the whole chapter, if you've read the whole chapter, Moses, and you get to chapter, uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4, Moses finally says to God, please send 
somebody else in our lives. And it doesn't matter the age, but in our lives, sometimes because of past events, we say, I might could have done it those years ago, but I just, I don't think I can really do much now. And you know what God says? Who made you? You're never too old, and it's never too late. You're never too old, and it's never too late. Look at verse 10. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. He says, you may bring them out. This is the commission. Moses, you're the one. We need to realize that there's a great truth here. We need to realize that this is the way God accomplishes his plan. He uses people. How will he proclaim the good news message of salvation to this world? How's he going to do it? Is he going to send angels? He's sending who? Us. He says, Moses, I got a plan. You to plan, Moses. Moses goes, can you go to plan B? Right? Can you go to plan B? Because I don't really like plan A. And, you know, and I don't know. He, he uses each of us. We are chosen instruments of God. Every one of us in this room, there is a sphere of influence. There are people that you come in contact with every day. And some of those people do not know Christ. Who, who has God chosen, selected, empowered to be the ones to take the message? It's us. You can think about Moses that, that all of his life he thought he was going to be the one and now it's finally come true. Forty years in Egypt, forty years in the desert, and now he says, I don't think so. <laughs> Thanks, I don't think so. Look at verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? You almost want to see God saying, what did you think 40 years ago? Well, he says, well, 40 years ago I thought it was me. He says, what's changed? What's changed? Who am I that I should do it? He doubts himself because he's seen what's happened. He said, I tried once and I failed. They, they didn't follow me. For the fast, last 40 years, I'm a nobody. Remember this, when he failed, it wasn't the right time. Now it is. And he wasn't ready because he'd been trained by Egypt, not by God. 40 years ago when he thought he was going to lead the people out, it wasn't the right time because he wasn't ready. And, he, and it was not, he was not ready himself because he hadn't been trained. And now he's been trained by God, and now it's the right time. Humanly speaking, what would be a better time for a man to lead a nation out at age 40 or age 80? We'd say, well, humanly speaking, I mean, a younger man could be, surely could do it, could do it better, couldn't he? God said, no, no, that's not my plan. That's not my plan. Ministry is done through people, regardless of the age. Look what God says. This is the reason why Moses can do it. And he said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. God says, listen, don't worry about it. I'm going to be with you. Listen, if you got God with you, what, do you, what would you ever fear? I'll never, fear not, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If you've got God who says I will empower you, why would we ever fear anything? I mean, it's just amazing. We go around, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you say, wait a minute, where's your power coming from? Well, it's, I, I, it's God, okay? 
It's a great truth for us. He's always with us. He'll never leave us. When we walk out these doors, when we go on that campus, when we go in our neighborhoods, when we go to these, to our friends, we're never alone. It's always God through us. He is with us. He gives Moses. He says, here's a sign, Moses. Now, here's a sign to show you this has all come through. When you come back and you lead the people out, you're going to come back to this mountain right here and worship me. Notice the sign. This will be a sign to you that I've sent you, that when you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. That's the sign. And they will come back there, and guess what's going to happen? They're going to be there for a year and a half at this mountain. What's going to happen on this mountain? He's going to get the law. He's going to go up there in front of all the people, blazing fire coming down, clouds. Everybody's afraid. They're going, you go, Moses. He goes, I'm going. And he goes up there and disappears for how many days? At least 40 days. And gets the law. Moses lead the people out. Guess what? We have a commission. That's to make disciples. To tell people about Christ and to train them. God is with us. Look what happens. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, Well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? He said, what if I go to God? I mean, what if I go to the people and say, God has come and he wants me to tell you all that we're going to go out and I'm leading the way. What if they look at me and say, what's God's name? Who is it to talk to you? We want to make sure you got the right person, right? So what does God say? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Notice his answer. Yeah, I am who I am. I am has sent you. Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, literally has an idea of I am. And so when he asks, when Moses says, what, what is your name? What do I tell him? God says, I am who I am. Just tell him I am sent you. That's why it's so vital in the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings that when Jesus Christ says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not just saying I am, he's saying I am. Am. He's giving the name of God there. It's ego me in the Greek, which is really a little bit unusual way to say it. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And you remember when they came to arrest him in the garden, Jesus stepped out and said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they st- steps backwards and put their faces to the ground. This is the name of God. That's why the seven I am's of Jesus Christ are so important. That's why it's so important. Well, we talked about the names of God, and this is the special name. And look what he says. God God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now there's more. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. He's giving the eternal name of God, the I Am, and He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We never forget that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When we talk about who God is, He is the God of the Jewish people. He set them apart. Now, He's the God of the whole world, but He chose those people. And Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God, who became a human being, He didn't just become any human being. He became a Jewish human being. He is the Messiah, the Savior, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Next time, we'll look at some details. We'll see God's names, why it's so important that God said, I am the one who sent 
you. So what have we seen? Moses in the desert, the burning bush, it's God. God, he tells Moses that he has a plan. He hears, he knows, he knows the situation. He's going to deliver them and bring them back to the land. He says, Moses, you're going to lead them and I'll be with you. Moses said, well, what name shall I tell them? What, What am I going to tell them? And say, just tell them, I am sent you. Let me give you some applications real quickly. And then we'll have any questions if you have it. The first one is this. God knows our situation and has a plan for our lives. First of all, he knows all about our lives. He knows what we're going through. He knows when we pray. He knows. He hears our prayers. He knows our trials, our hurts, our problems. You just have to trust him. He knows everything about us. Second thing is that God has a plan for our lives. He does. He has sent Jesus Christ to die for us and pay for our sins, to deliver us from the bondage of sin. He, Just as he delivered Israel from uh, Egypt, he delivers us from the bondage of sin. He has given us the Holy Spirit, which is the power to live day in and day out. So how can we trust him? How can we trust him? How? Notice. Because he is the I am, the eternal God of salvation, grace, and mercy. He is the I am. And he loves us and has sent his son, Jesus Christ, and gives us eternal life. The second application is very simple. is this. Simple to say, not simple to do. Let us fulfill our commission from God. Just as Moses set apart in God's power, we are set apart to take the commission. The commission is to make disciples. We're to lead people to Christ, train them, and equip them. You must understand whether you want to do it or not, whether you think you're too old or too young, you have been given the Great Commission. We are to make disciples. We're to take what we know. We're to go to people. We're to lead them to Christ. We're to give them the great message of salvation, the good news message, and then we're to help them grow and train them and equip them when they trust in Christ. That's our responsibility. Every one of us in this room, when we walk out these doors, instead of it being one person who's supposed to share his faith, it is every one of us sharing our faith. Do you know how to share your faith? Are we growing? Can we help other people grow? Who are you discipling have you thought about that who are you discipling if you've been a christian more than six months probably you ought to be discipling somebody you should because if you say well what do i tell them well tell them what you know if you say i don't know anything i'd say why not why not you know we teach the bible you should be studying it and knowing it right may we rest in our eternal god who knows our lives has a plan for us may we be faithful to fulfill the Great Commission. Let me pray. If you've got questions or comments, we'll talk about it. Heavenly Father, thanks for a great night. Thank you, Lord, for this great passage and, and the great truths as we look at the life of Moses. Lord, thank you that you know our situation and that you have a plan for our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you know everything that goes on in our lives. You're there. You know our prayers. You know our trials, our hurts. Lord, thank you for your great plan, first of all, to save us through Jesus Christ and then to empower us and, and help us grow through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we be faithful. We can trust you. You are the eternal God. Lord, we have a commission, and that is to make disciples. Would you use us, Lord, to lead people to Christ and then train them and equip them? Thank you, Lord. We can trust you in everything. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? Yeah. So when we say that God is working in your life and, and has planned for your life, that's every aspect. 
you know, I've talked to people, and I know sometimes they'll say, well, when you think about it, this is how my life is. God is first. My family is second. My, something else is third. Maybe my church is third. Then my job is fourth. It's not that way at all. There's no plan like that. The plan is God is in the center of everything, and every aspect of your life comes out from that, whether it's your church or your job or your family or your friends or your ministry, all of those things. So the center point of everything is God. And so when we say he has a plan for your life, the idea there is God loves you, knows you. He's known you from all of creation, and he's brought you to himself. And when you trust in Christ, he gives you spiritual gifts and talents and abilities. And he says, I want to use you while you're on this earth. So when we say has a plan for your life it's in every aspect not just a job or not just a ministry but in everything that you do god it should be the center and that we say what i want my life to count for him in everything does, does that help a little bit what else yeah gary yeah yeah Yeah, he he's written several books. What's the one dealing with Mount Sinai? He may have two of them dealing with it. But what what do you remember the names? Yeah, it, yeah. Spell his last name so people would know. Uh huh. He's an excellent writer. He's done a lot of research. Gone to places that. Most people don't think of the right place. The place where Mount Sinai is is not where they put it on the map. And he's gone to a lot of places and seen. And if you've got the books, uh, they're incredible books uh, that give you a lot of good background on things. So really, really some good stuff. And can you imagine finding those things and seeing that on the bottom? Wow, amazing. What else? What else? What else? Yes. Not exactly. Probably where they think they crossed and where Mount Sinai is, is pro- on the maps is probably not the right place. It's much further over. Because, I mean, Moses is not, he didn't, he didn't go all the way back almost to the promised land. And, yeah. Huh? He's in Midian, yeah. No, not what, what we call Sinai Peninsula, right. Okay, what else? What else? Okay, thanks for coming. Okay. <laughs>